Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Well, good morning. It's very good to be here. As normally does happen when you go to preach somewhere for the first time, something goes wrong. And I didn't have to wait for this morning for that to happen. I started unpacking my stuff when I got to Jesse and Dustin's and realized I left all of my church clothes back in Amarillo. And so I'd like to say a thank you to your goodwill because it's clothed me this morning. This morning I'm really excited to talk about uh, the message that I've been studying for the last couple months. Um, It's made a big difference in my life and I hope that um, in your life that it can do the same thing. A couple weeks ago a co-worker of mine came to me at the office and for some reason I've kind of turned into the office counselor and she told me, she said, I've had some some problems with my anxiety. I've had some, even I've had some panic attacks recently. And she was asking me, well, what can I do? What can I do? And I, I asked her what I normally ask anyone that's having any type of anxiety or any type of sin problem. I said, well, have you been to church recently? Have you been going to church? And I started thinking about that. What is going to church one, two, maybe even three times a week What is that really going to do to this deep-rooted sin problem when you're only going to be there for two, maybe three hours out of the week out of all the hours that we have in one week? And so it's kind of like brushing your teeth. I'm a dentist, and so I like to make things uh, kind of bring it close to home. You Say you decide, well, I'm done brushing my teeth. I'm done flossing. I'm done brushing. I'm tired of it. I don't care. But every six months, I'm going to go to the dentist, and I'm going to have those guys cleaned. And that's going to make all the difference. You're crazy to think that that's going to happen. That just a touch-up every now and then is going to fix your problem. Same thing with, with sin. You're crazy to think that showing up once or twice a week and doing nothing else is going to fix your sin problem. And so this morning, I want to talk about checking the church box. And we, we as Christians, we've kind of gotten into the habit of, of wanting to check the church box. And the problem that, that we have with this is we don't understand sometimes what church is. Society has really messed up our definition of church. And so this morning, for just a few seconds, I want to go over a new definition of church. A lot of times we get confused between what the assembly is versus what a church service truly is, or what, a, what being a part of the community of the church really is. And so to do this, I, wanna under, I want you to understand this word, and that is ekklesia. And this is the only Greek word that we're going to use this morning, um, and I don't want to make it complicated, because it's, it's, an, it's a really simple word to understand, um, but it's really important to understand this word because it's used 115 times in the New Testament. So it's used a lot. We need to understand what that word Word is, and that's ecclesia, and that word literally translates to the word church. So I want to figure out what did the normal first century person, not even Christian, what did they view as what church or what the word ecclesia truly meant? And so to do that, I want to read in Acts chapter 19, verse 32. Um, and Paul, he had just come to Ephesus, and Paul was teaching that Christ was king. He was teaching these people who God truly was, and they didn't like it. The problem was their God was Diana. Diana was who they worshipped, and so they, they view Paul, they view all of Paul's companions that he's with as troublemakers. And so they round up these troublemakers, they capture them, and they take them to this huge amphitheater. 
And we read here, Some therefore cried one another, and some another, for the assembly of the ecclesia was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And we see that in just in the first century that an ecclesia was just a gathering. It could be for political reasons, for cultural reasons, whatever, but it was just a gathering of citizens together. And ecclesia was a common thing. It happened all the time. It was just a way to get the community together to discuss certain things. Just an assembly of citizens. So the first time that we see it used in reference to what we're talking about this morning is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And Christ is the first one who references the ecclesia. Christ says, I will build my church or my ecclesia and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's the first time it's ever used in reference to God's kingdom and God's people. And you think about it, it would have been odd for Christ or for his disciples for him to hear this word because they know what an ecclesia is. They've seen this happen. They've seen all the people come together for better or for worse, sometimes against Christians. And Christ uses this word. And Christ says, I'm going to use it and I'm going to gather my people, my called out. That's what Christ wants us to be. And so we look at this word and it's a compound word, just like a compound word that we have in the English language. You think about the word toothbrush. You know what a tooth is. You know what a brush is. And so you combine those together. It's a brush for your tooth. And ecclesia is the same thing, same way. It's made up of two different, two different words. Ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, meaning uh, to call out or to call. And so when you combine those words together, you get the called out. And that's exactly what we're called to be, the called out. God's called out. And so um, we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called, there's that word kaleo, you out of ek, darkness, into his marvelous light. And so there's those two root words together. That's what we as the church are. That's what God's people are. We're the called out. We're called out of darkness. We're called into his marvelous light. And so we're the community of God's people. That's what the church is. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church or the ecclesia daily those who were being saved. Romans 16, verse 5, likewise, greet the church, the ecclesia that's in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so we see that this is this church that we're talking about, it's, it's, in, it's invisible. It's not tangible because it's spiritual. It's the community of believers. It includes only the saved. And that's something that's really important to understand. The community of God's people is only God's saved people. And that's different than the assembly of God's people. A lot of times when we hear about the church, um, we think about the assembly of God's people. And it's used in reference to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 28. But there, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church or in ecclesia, and let him, speak to, let him speak to himself and to God. And so this is what I'll call the visible church. Um, it's the physical assembling together at a building or at a house or at a temple. Um, and it can be seen as a gathering of people. The difference between this, this visible church versus the invisible church, is this visible church includes people that aren't saved. It includes the saved and the not saved. And so when we compare the visible church versus the invisible church, 
uh, when you say, I'm going to church tomorrow, what you really mean is, I'm going to the assembly of the church tomorrow. I'm going to the gathering of the people, the visible church, where there's unsaved people, where there's saved people. Another question sometimes someone asks you, well, where do you go to church? And to the first century Christian, that would be a really odd question. It just it wouldn't happen because that wasn't a thing. There was no division in church. Buildings of worship were not a thing um, or weren't called churches until around 500 A.D. So somewhere around 500 years after Christ died is when buildings started to be called churches. And so we may call this building a church, but what we really mean is this is the church. The people are the church. It's not a biblical concept to call a building a church. We go to an ecclesia because we are the ecclesia. This building becomes church when you show up, when the church shows up. Without it, it's just a building. And this concept has really messed up our society because people think they're involved in church when they just show up to the building one, two times out of the week. They check that box and they think they've gone to church when that's not the case. So for a few minutes, I want to talk about community in the ecclesia, what that really means to be involved in the community of the church, the community of God's people, what it means to be a part of that. As I was preparing for this, this study, this was a picture that I actually took out of my Bible. A vital church grows. And when, when you see that, what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to read what comes next. Because I want to be a part of a community where God's growing the church and where this church is, is flourishing and growing. And so Peter, right before this, he just finished his sermon on the day of Pentecost or after the on the day of Pentecost, uh, talking about Christ and who Christ truly was. And we read in Acts chapter two, verse forty, he says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We'll keep going. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided among them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking in bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so they were together. You want to grow the church? you got to be together. They had all things in common. These people sold all their possessions. They divided them up. And anybody who had need, they were provided for. They went from house to house. What that means is they were in each other's homes. You want to grow the church, you've got to be in each other's houses. You've got to get to know each other. They ate, to, they ate together in their homes daily. Not once a week, but it says daily. And so is this what your ecclesia looks like? Is this how you're involved in your church? There's probably people in here that you don't know each other's names. And that could be other people's fault, but it's also your fault, your fault too. And so you really need to be making sure that you're a part of the community of God's people. You're not just coming here once, twice a week, showing up right when church, 
and then leaving right when church ends. You've got to be a part of the community. Pew Research did a couple studies on the church, and they asked how involved are Christians in their congregations, and they ranked high, medium, and low. And what high involvement was was you're showing up to multiple services a week, you're involved in Bible studies outside of church, you're involved in prayer groups outside of church, you're eating at each other's houses, you're having game nights, things like that. You're highly involved in your congregation. And they ranked different churches. They ranked Church of Christ, Baptist, Methodist. You know where Church of Christ fell? 44% had high involvement. And that ranked well below a lot of other churches. And you look at uh, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, and they're well above 70%. They have a high involvement. Some of my best friends in dental school were Mormon. And I believe that statistic 100% because they're involved in each other's lives. Every night, they're eating dinner together. Every weekend, they're together all day Saturday, all day Sunday. They're involved in each other's lives. They love being around each other. Is that what your life looks like? Do you love being around God's people? In your life, are you a part of this 44% of high involvement? Or do you make up the other 56%? Something you need to ask yourself. Do you desire to be a part of the ecclesia? Do you desire to be a part of God's people? Or is it just something that you're looking to just check off the list every Sunday? Do you look forward to being here with God's people, seeing God's people, talking to God's people? Or are the people here just an irritating part of your faith? Think about that. Another research study, um, they asked, um, why do you go to the assembly of the church? And these are all great reasons. To become closer to God so children will have a moral foundation. To make me a better person. To comfort in times of trouble and sorrow. I find the sermons valuable. The problem with that is that being a part of the community didn't even make in the top five. When by our definition, and there it is at number six with 57%. By our definition of what the church is, that is the definition. is the community of God's people. And so people have a a misunderstanding of what church is. Church is, yes, the assembly, but church is the community of God's people. It's being a part of this group. That is church. The last research study that we'll look at, among those who rarely attend religious services, nearly 4 in 10 or 37% say they don't go because they practice their faith in other ways. What does that mean? So that's a strange concept. They practice their faith in, in other ways. What that tells me is that there's little desire to be a part of this. There's little desire to be involved or have to answer to or have to be friends with other people. 37%. And that's a concept that a lot of people have, that they think that they can, they can practice their faith in other ways. And that shows me how self-absorbed we are, how little we care about being part of community. And so in your life, do you desire to be a part of community or do you want to do things that benefit you and that you only care about? You look at individuality versus community, and this is a, this is a tough concept because of the, the, the culture and the time that we live in. We live in a very individualistic uh, culture where it's all about individual achievement. What can I do to make me better? Self-expression, we're self-centered. We're non-committal. And you think about non-committal. I've been non-committal in my life. You've been non-committal in yours. 
we're non-committal about things that we don't care about. And so you look at your service to the church, are you non-committal? Are you committed? And you look at community, where in the community mindset, it's all about group, group success or group achievement. It's authentic. It's relational. It's all about the people in here and how can I have a better relationship with the people in here? And it's committed. My authentic mindset causes me to be committed because I deeply care about the people here. This is the community that God calls us to be. Acts 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. This is just two chapters from what we read earlier. Two chapters later, so they're still doing it. They didn't stop. It wasn't just that day that, that Peter preached to them, they had a change in mind. No, they're still doing it. They keep doing it through the book of Acts. Does this look like that individualistic mindset where, where it's all about me? Not at all. This is all about the group. This is all about the community. These people in Acts, they continued to love each other. And the church grew exponentially. And that's what happens when it's all about the group. When it's all about the community. What can I do to grow this community? These Christians deeply desired to be a part of community. And I ask you this morning, do you? Is that something that's important in your life? Or are you disconnected from the ecclesia? I really want you to think about that. Are you disconnected? You may come to the assembly of the church, but are you truly connected? Do you truly know? Do you truly understand the people that are here this morning? That's a serious question. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20 says, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And in the past, this verse has been used to preach church attendance. Over and over I've heard that. But is this truly talking about church attendance? I don't think so. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together truly just means being together, eating meals at people's houses, playing games on Friday night, being involved in each other's lives. It's just simply a gathering. And in order to understand Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, you need context. And so we go to the verse before that, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then there's a comma. What that comma means is we're going to continue that thought. We're going to explain the thought that we just made. So how do you stir up love and good works? Not forsaking. You're together. You're involved. You're a part of each other's lives. And I'm not trying to say that church attendance isn't important by this. I'm actually saying the exact opposite. It's so important. But we need to raise the bar. We need to raise the bar because we set the bar at church attendance is what makes you a good Christian. You just need to check that church box and that's what does it for you. When that's not the case, we need to raise the bar higher. Yes, you need to show up to church, but you need to show up to all the other things. You need to have people over. You need to, to be in each other's lives. Know what everybody's going through so you can help them and they can help you. So, is it possible that there are those with perfect assembly attendance who have done no more to love the brethren than a how are you in passing in the foyer? 
What did I say when I walked in first this morning? How are you? It's just a habit. And you probably did the same thing. Hey, how's it going? When truly, when you're part of the community, when you understand what church is, it's not how are you, it's how are you doing? How's your Christian life looking? It's involved. It's deeply connected. It's not superficial in anything. Is it possible that there are those who have perfect assembly attendance but never see or talk to their Christian family outside the building? If that's the case, you're not doing church right. And so you really need to think about those questions. They're very serious things. And one of the ways people have gotten out of being a part of the church or out of the ecclesia is through this phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious. And you've probably heard people say this before. It's it's something that probably 10 years ago, the last five to 10 years, um, really started to become a pretty popular saying, I'm spiritual but not religious. And basically that was a way of saying, well, I want to have spirituality. I want to have God. I want God to be in my life. I want to worship God. But I don't want to have to deal with you. I don't want to have to be involved in your life. I don't want to have to answer to you. I don't want to have to help you in any way. I don't have to think about how I can help other people, but I want to worship God. And I want to love God without loving you. That's, That's not a biblical mindset. We can't have that mindset. Do we think like that? I lied. One more study. Lifeway Christian Resources in 2009. 72% of 20 to 30 year olds said that they were more spiritual than religious. That's people that are 30 to 40 now. 72%. That's an incredible amount. It, the, the, what the purpose of this is, is it gives them the freedom to make their own decisions in their, their lives. How they want to worship God without having to answer to anybody. And so, for example... Craig comes up to me and and he says, I want to be your best friend. You and I, you're awesome. Everything you do is awesome. I like the way you dress. I like the car you drive. Everything you do is awesome. But your wife, don't bring her around. I don't like the way she walks. I don't like the way she talks. I don't like the way she looks at me. But you and I, we're going to be best friends. What am I going to say? No. That's my wife. We're together. We're one. You can't have me without having her. In the same way, you can't have God without having His people. You can't love His love God without loving His church. There's no separation there. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to love. You've got to have both. Anne Greeley, she's a professor at Sacred Heart University. I really like what she said. It says, People seem not to have the time nor the energy or interest to delve deeply into any one faith or religious tradition. So they move through collecting ideas and practices and tenets that most appeal to the self, but making no connection to groups or communities. And she's right. We're more superficially connected to everything. With all of the technology that we have, we're superficially connected to everything. We know a little bit about everything, but we're not deeply connected to anything at all. We need to be deeply connected to God's people. Deeply connected to God's church. And has this affected you? Think about that. Are you deeply connected to this group of believers? Or is it just something superficial? Think about that in your life. Virtual church. 2020 happened in a lot of churches, including churches that I went, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, implemented virtual assemblies. We use Facebook Live, Zoom, Um, 
uh, YouTube live stream podcast, and these served a purpose. They accomplished a really good purpose. But I think you can see, based on our definition of what church is, this doesn't fit the bill. Just showing up and, and opening and, and pulling up that browser and watching church and not being involved in anything doesn't fit the bill. You've got to be a part of the community. And I'm not saying that there's not a correct way to do this. I've been involved in assemblies where the chat room was opened up and everybody's talking for 45 minutes before. Or where um, we went to one place where you have the live stream and then afterwards all the people who could went and stood six feet apart in front of the shut-ins' houses and sang songs. And that really helped the people who were shut-in, but it really, really helped the people who were gathering together and being a part of that community, being a part of God's people. And so just make sure that when you're, and if you're participating in these virtual churches, that that's not your sense of church. Because just like wanting to check the box through virtual assemblies, we can do that with this, just this assembly this morning. You can show up, you can check this box, just like checking that virtual assembly and leave, and it's the same thing. And so I really encourage you to think about your involvement. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For as, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same functions, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so the, the church, the ecclesia, can't function without full participation of all the members here. If you're not here, this church suffers from it. You've got to be here. You've got to be involved. It needs unity. It needs oneness. And it only accomplishes that when you're here. You've got to be here. So for a few minutes, we're going to talk about oneness in the ecclesia. And this is really the heart of the sermon. This is really the important part of the sermon. Ephesians chapter 4 is really the perfect description of oneness. And we're going to read that. Perfect description of unity in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in, the hope, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. There's that root word of ecclesia, that called, which you were called, which you're a part of, the church, which you're a part of. He goes on, he talks about keep the unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you think about a bond, and I think about a glue or super glue, bond holding us together. And you don't get that if you're superficially connected. You've got to be deeply connected. You've got to be deeply involved in order to grow that bond and to increase that bond, increase that strength. And just like every other New Testament church that we read of had multiple backgrounds, people that were Jews, people that were Gentiles, they had to come together. They had to have unity. And you don't experience this if you're not together, if you don't come together. So we're going to talk about unity through, through diversity. And we read this morning earlier in our reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the first 11 verses like we read were all about the Spirit came and the Spirit gave out gifts. Gave out gifts to you and you and you and you. And not that you would only use your gift and that you would only use your gift and you would only use your gift individually, but that you would use your gift and you would use your gift and you would use your gift collectively. 
And the church can grow because everyone's not selfish with their gift, but everyone's growing together because we're all using our different gifts, and it benefits everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, just after that, after, we, after the Spirit gave out all, the, all these gifts, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and, all have, and have all been made to drink in one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so we see that the Spirit of God is about building a family and creating this family and creating this bond of peace through diversity, through all these different gifts that you've been given. You think about Jews and Greeks. These people hated each other. The Jews just wanted to keep living the life that they had always lived. And here come these Greeks. They come into this region and disrupt their way of life and infiltrate their way of life through their taxes and and everything. They hated each other. Slaves and free. You think about the slaves, people who are being owned by someone, and, and the free, people who are doing the owning. How can you make those people see eye to eye? Christ bonds them together. Unity through diversity. Two different people who had nothing to do with each other can be made a family through Christ. And it takes diversity to make unity. You might say, well, I'm just going to have church with my family. I'm going to have church with my group of people, my college group, because, you see, we all believe the same thing. We all like the same songs. We all like, I mean, we're so similar in our mindset that we don't disagree on anything. And that's who who I'm going to go to church with. That's who I'm going to worship with. But the problem is, your friends and your family and the people who look just like you look just like you and they act just like you and they think just like you. And so Paul uses this illustration of an eye. And he uses this later on down in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But he says, I want you to imagine that you're an eye. You're an eye, you're an eye, everyone in here is an eye, and I'm an eye. What happens when you're an eye and you get something in you? You look at all the other eyes and you say, what can I do? And they say, well, I had that happen once. That stinks. And that's it. They can't help you. What do you need? You need a hand. And that's the problem with worshiping with only people who are similar to you is you don't get diversity. You don't get all the other different facets of life that that you're missing that you don't understand. And you say, well, those hands, they're just so different. They like different songs. They talk really slow. I just want to worship with eyes. It doesn't work that way. The body of, of Christ is best seen in unity through diversity. And we try to do this when we meet together with just people that are similar to us. Similar interests, similar backgrounds, similar education. And when the same people get together over and over and over, there's no growth. Because everybody's the same. We think the same. There's people in here who probably, if it were up to you, you would lead only old songs. Anything 1800 and older is a good song. But there's people in here that, if it were up to you, you'd lead everything that was 2000 and newer. But the nice thing is, Everybody leads songs. Everybody, we, the people who don't like old songs get to hear the new song or get to hear the old songs because everybody in here 
works together and grows together. And there's beautiful unity through diversity that we bring to the church. Matthew and Simon, you think about Jesus when he called his 12 disciples. He couldn't have picked two different people that were more different. Matthew, he was a tax collector. He worked for the government. He imposed these harsh taxes on these people that they didn't like. Simon, he was a zealot. He hated the government. He wanted to overthrow the government. And Christ says, I'm going to put you two together, and you're going to work in my kingdom, and you're going to grow this church. You're going to work together, and you're going to bring unity through diversity. And he makes these two opposite people brothers in Christ. Over the summer, we went to a meeting in Plainview, and after services, I was talking to Jay Henderson. I don't know if you know Jay Henderson, but uh, him and I were having a conversation for 15 minutes or so. And after that, I decided, well, I grew up here. I'm going to go talk to all my friends. I'm going to find my, my friend group and talk to them. Well, I looked up, and the problem was my friend group wasn't talking to my, fr- my friend group. My friend group was talking to people that were 50 years older than, than them. The men were talking to the women. And that's the beauty of the church is we get to have these relationships with people that aren't just like us. And that's what causes the church to grow. Oneness, there's oneness when people of different generations, different backgrounds, different ethnicities can come together and worship together and create growth for the church. So about a year ago, my granddad passed away. And at my granddad's funeral, um, this man came up to my family and he was he was crying his eyes out. I mean, tears flowing down. And this man was Hispanic. He was mid-30s. He had tattoos rolling down his arms. This man um, apparently was my granddad's close friend. We, we didn't know these guys even knew each other. But come to find out, my granddad had been taking him to his AA meetings for the last year. And they had become really close friends. And this was a, a Christian This was my granddad's closest friend. These men looked nothing like each other. They couldn't have been more opposite. Their ethnicity was different. Their age was different. Their background was totally different. Their problems, their sin problems were completely different. But they were one in the church. The church benefited. Each of these men benefited because of their relationship together and in Christ. And you can see how God can bring people together through His gospel. As we wrap up, I think about the screw tape letters. And I don't know if you've ever read the screw tape letters, but it was a project that I read back in eighth grade. Um, it's a book by C.S. Lewis. And what the screw tape letters are is screw tape is an older devil. And screw tape is trying to teach his younger nephew devil how to get this Christian to leave the church. And he's trying to mess with this Christian or, or this patient and cause him to leave the church early because he's just become a member. And so Screwtape writes to his nephew and he says, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a a Christian. But there's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. And he goes on to say, you want this man to leave the church? You want this man to leave Christianity? You get him to start nitpicking on all the different ways that everybody's different in the church that he goes to. You get him to fixate on all the problems, how you're different, and that man's going to leave. You want to cre- create havoc for this church? You start nitpicking. 
you become disinterested. You start just checking a box and not being involved. That's going to create havoc for this church. For this church to grow, you've got to become complete, completely committed. You've got to be involved. You've got to love the people here. You've got to be committed. And you want to know what creates a thriving church? First, First Peter 4, 8-10, Above all, all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you have fervent love for each other, when you want to be around each other, when you desire to be around each other, the church is going to thrive. The church is going to grow. And as we wrap up, I want to mention a few practical things that you can do to help this, to help the church grow, to be involved. Have others over for dinner. And when I say others, we generally have the same people over, over and over and over, because we get comfortable. When we have people over, we want we, we have good conversations, so let's do it again. Have other people over, people that you don't normally have dinner with, have them over to your house instead. Say yes. It's hard to get repeatedly told no. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to quit asking. Sometimes it's inconvenient when someone asks you to come over. You've got things to do. You've got family things to do. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. And so sacrifice to deepen your connection, deepen your bond to this church, to this ecclesia. Be early to the assembly. I've been a visitor at a lot of places. And we went up to Alaska uh, last week. And we went to some church services there. It's hard to enjoy being at a church service when no one even says hi to you as you walk in. When you walk straight from the back door and sit in a pew and no one even acknowledges you're there. Be that person. Be here early so you can be that person. Enjoy meeting new people. Enjoy growing this church and being involved. Be early at the assembly. Stay late at the assembly. Some of the best conversations have been had after church services sometimes. Sometimes that makes for a really late evening. Sometimes you have to sacrifice some sleep on Wednesday nights to do that. Just make the sacrifice. Plan an activity. You might say, well, our church never does anything. And I know that's not the case here. Our church never does anything. We're never involved in anything. Plan something then. Don't just complain about it. Be an active participant. Sometimes it just needs planning. The same people who plan stuff are generally the same people that plan stuff. Sometimes it takes jumping out of your comfort zone and doing something that you're not used to doing. There have been a lot of church camping trips that I've been on. I've greatly enjoyed these camping trips. I've learned a lot about people. When you spend three, four days with people, sometimes a camping trip is what you need to do. Sometimes a food pantry, clothing drive, whatever it is, plan it. Make it happen. Be a member of the Ecclesia. Be a member of God's church. Be a member of the community of God's people. Don't miss what God has available and has made available to us through Christ. But to do that, you've got to be a part of the church. You've got to be a part of the Ecclesia. You've got to be a part of the, the invisible church that's made up of the saved people. We read this verse earlier, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
You've got to be out of darkness. You've got to be in the light. You've got to be saved to be the called out. God's calling you out. God wants you to be a part of this. God wants you to be a member of this community. He's, he's wanting you to do that. Christ lived. Christ died. Christ was resurrected. All that, also that we could be a part of this thing He called the church. And this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. We want you to be a part of this community. This morning, if you desire to be a part of that community, you want to take the simple steps that it takes to be a part of this, you want to be baptized, we would love to help you with that. We're going to offer an invitation right now for anyone that has a need. Won't you come while we stand and sing? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.